Welcome to this week's message at Corner Bible Church. We're so glad that you could join us. If you'd like more information on our church, you could check us out at our website, cornerbiblechurch.com, or you can like or follow us on Facebook. Now here's this week's message. Thank you for listening. Now this week here this morning in our teaching time, we are starting a brand new series that we as a teaching team have been really, really excited about to start called Distracted. And what we're going to be talking about is how do we as Christians live our faith in a preoccupied age? How do we live our faith in a preoccupied age? And to start this conversation, we are going to be opening up our Bibles. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please open them up. We're going to be in the book of 2 Kings today. 2 Kings chapter 18. We'll be kicking it Old Testament style today, right? 2 Kings. So if you're new to the Bible, if you open to the very, very front, you'll see the book of Genesis. That's the first book. And you'll see the first five are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then you'll get Joshua, Judges, Ruth. 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings. So it's like towards the front of the Bible. 2nd Kings 18, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 8 this morning. We'll read the first couple verses to get started. Then I'm going to pray, and we're going to get going. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in for 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. And Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him, for he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but he kept the commandments that the Lord had commanded Moses, and the Lord was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you so much for your word this morning. Father, we want to thank you so much that you sent your son to die for us. And we get to approach this first Sunday of the year and we get to celebrate that fact through communion. We get to celebrate that fact through hearing your word, through music. Father, I pray for us now as we turn towards your word. Your powerful, powerful word. Impact us. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears. Put away our distractions. Help us see you, even if it's the first time we've ever seen you. I thank you for what you want to do this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. At the very top, I mentioned that you and I, we live in a distracted society. Every single day, all every single one of us are bombarded from a million different ways with different messages and TV shows and, the, and our work and the news and conference calls and student loans and the kids' sports practices. And the list goes on and on and on. And we often find ourselves being pulled in every which direction. Anyone feel that at all, right? We are pulled in so many different directions. 
And as I was preparing for this week, I was looking up some statistics on our, our, our attention span as Americans and how quickly it takes for us to get distracted and lose focus. There was a study done in the United States here about five years ago or so that says the average attention span for the average adult living in America is eight, not hours, not minutes, eight point two five seconds the average attention span for the average adult living in america today in 2023 2024 is 8.25 seconds now for a frame of reference a goldfish a goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds now i so that says purely statistically speaking i can hold a goldfish's attention longer than i can hold any of yours so i don't know what that says for us here at corner bible church here but but that is a purely from a statistical uh analysis here now but it's not just uh, our distro- we don't get just distracted easy and um and our uh we're listening to a pastor or something like that but also in our workplace there's another study done about the workplace and they found that the in the average workday the the average worker, about 2.1 hours of every day is taken up with distractions. 2.1 hours, whether that be from emails or, or other, or co-workers, right? Any co-workers get distracting a little bit, right? The co-workers are checking our phones, conversations, the internet, memes, TikTok, whatever the case may be. And it's estimated, this is one that really blew me away. It's estimated that each employee, not all employees in a company, each employee wastes about 759 hours every single year in your workplace. 759 lost hours. Now, it's not just the workplace where we get distracted, but often in much of our life, there was another study done that indicates how many times a day you and I check our phones. You guys might not like this one. I didn't like this one. But on average, all of us, we check our phones about 96 times every single day. Day. That's once about every 10 minutes or so. If you find yourself checking your phone more often than that, it's much higher for you. The average person spends about three and a half hours on their phone, either communicating with people, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Snapchat, whatever the case may be, three and a half hours every single day. And finally, it's estimated that about 18.7 billion text messages are sent every day. That's not counting Facebook or app-to-app messaging or Snapchat or anything like that. That's not Gen Z or millennials. That's people in general, 18.7 billion text messages every single day. See, we as a society in many, many ways, we find ourselves often distracted. We find ourselves pulled a thousand different directions with so many different things competing for our attention. And what happens is we often find ourselves not being very effective, do we? Now, I don't bring all of this up as a hate piece on technology. I love technology. I use my technology for my notes. I use technology to communicate with people. I I, I use technology all the time. Technology is a wonderful, amazing thing. That's not what this sermon is about. I think if we were to focus on that, it would profoundly miss the point. I bring this up because we are distracted not only in our time management skills or our attention spans, but we are a distracted people in the realm of what we worship. 
Last Sunday, when we were together, we spent some time in Romans 12, 1 and 2, talking about what does it mean to be a living sacrifice as we walk into 2024. And we talked about how each and every one of our moments that we live is an opportunity to worship. And not only is it an opportunity to worship, but we as people, we do worship in every single moment. See, the question is not whether or not you are worshiping in your moments. The question is, what are you and I worshiping? Are we worshiping the God who made everything? Are we worshiping the God who who put us on this earth? Or are we worshiping the things that he created? Or in other words, are we making idols in our lives? To you and I, we were created to worship God with our entire being. Scripture says in Matthew chapter 22 that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. See, when God created us, He created us with our purpose being to bring God glory, to live for Him, not just on Sunday between 9.15 and 10.15, but with all of our days, with all of our moments, that whenever we live, we are reflecting Him. However, when sin... When sin entered the world, our hearts began to desire other things. Our hearts, rather than finding our joy and our hope and our peace and our longings in our Creator, we started trying to find it in all these other things that God created, and we always end up short. See, C.S. Lewis, who was a writer, once said, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. Human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. See, our hearts, our hearts are idol factories. We have this tendency to take good things that God has given us, like relationships and family and work and career and hobbies and pleasure and all of these good things, and we place them on the thrones of our hearts, and we love these things more than uh, we love God, and we try to find something in these things that only God can give. And we end up short. There's this Tim Keller quote where he defines what an idol is. And the quote's a little bit long, but I thought it was something that was really, really relevant to what we're talking about here. So I brought it with me. It's going to be on the screen so y'all could see it. But here's the quote. What is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would hardly feel worth living. An idol such as it has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. It can be family and children or career and making money or achievement and critical acclaim or saving face and social standing. It can be a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence and skill, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty or your brains, a great political or social cause, your morality and virtue, or even success in Christian ministry. 
An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning, then I know I'll have value, then I'll feel significant and secure. That last line is really, really important. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning, then I'll know I have value, then I'll feel significant and secure. See, an idol is anything, whether it's an inherently good thing or an inherently bad thing, that we make an ultimate thing to give us what only God can give us. See, we as the human race, we've always done this. We've always found ourselves seeking something to satisfy us that was never meant to satisfy us, whether it's physical idols that we bow down to, like we're going to see in our text this morning, or whether it's the unseen idols that we spiritually bow down to. We have always had a distraction with idols. And what we're going to be talking about in this series together is we are going to be talking about are we willing as God's people, are we willing to place God in his rightful place in our lives to worship him above all other things or will we be a people who live and worship distracted? And that's where our text picks up this morning. Take a look down at your text again. It says this, in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 29 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. See, in our text here, we are introduced to the, the character here named Hezekiah. And we are told that Hezekiah was a king that walked in the way of the Lord. He is even compared to King David, who was known as a man after God's own heart. And we learn here that Hezekiah chased God, sought God, worshipped God with everything that he had, which may be tempting for us to glance over. He's in the Bible, right? So of course he worshipped God. But this was actually a giant rarity among the kings that were in Israel at this time. If you back the camera up all the way back to King David, you see a fantastic king. He loved the Lord. Yes, he made some mistakes, even some really, really colossal mistakes. But he always came back. He always repented. He always came back to Christ, to God and, and worshipped Him and put Him first. And when he passed away, his son Solomon took his place. And Solomon had some good things about him, but Solomon also let idolatry and let idol worship into the country. And it, what happened was it led the hearts of the people away from God. In fact, when Solomon dies, what we see happen is Israel as a country splits into two. There's a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. And in that northern kingdom, every single king that comes after Solomon, they're all awful. They all lead the people into idolatry. They all practice, uh, they all practice a child sacrifice and horrible, horrible things. And in the southern kingdom, some of the kings were good and some of the kings were not so good. However, something that's consistent, even with the kings who are labeled as good, is that while they follow the Lord, while they seek after Him, they don't stop idol worship. They don't stop the idol worship. 
If we look in the text throughout First and Second Kings, you see Asa worshiped the Lord, but the high places where all the idols were, he did nothing with them, and the people still worshiped there. Jehoshaphat, he walked with the Lord, but he did not stop the worship of idols. Azariah did, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but he did not take away the idols. Amaziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but he didn't stop the worship of idols. Jotham did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but he did not take away the high places. And then you get to Ahaz, who is Hezekiah's father. You can read all about it in 2 Kings 16. I'm not going to go there, but it's, 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 a, it's an interesting passage. But we find out he not only did he not do what was right in the eyes of God, he goes the complete opposite way. Instead of letting the people just worship the idols, he himself goes and worships the idols. And instead of trusting in God to protect them from the other neighboring countries, he makes an alliance with, with the evil superpower, if you want to call it that, of the day named Assyria. And while he's finalizing the, the, the commitment, he's so impressed by the temples that the Assyrians are worshiping in that when he comes back home, he goes to God's temple and he breaks down the altars, he breaks down the things that were used to worship God, and he puts new idols in place pagan idols in place, and he even goes so far to lock the doors of the temple so that people cannot go and worship God. And then finally, he offers one of his own sons on an altar to Molech and kills him. We get in this tough, tough spot. See, what started as kings of Israel accommodating for idolatry for the people turns to kings embracing and fully accepting it themselves. That's what happens with our idols, isn't it? That's what happens. Your idols are never going to come to you and say, here's a cage, get in it. I'm going to lock the door. You're going to be trapped there. Your idols never say that. Your idols come to you and they promise freedom. They promise joy. They promise peace. They promise comfort. And as you're seeking after those things, you build the cage yourself. And one day you wake up and you're trapped. That's what's happening here. That's what's happening and finally, we see as we come into our text that when Ahaz comes, he passes away, his son Hezekiah comes onto the throne. And when he enters the throne, he has an important question to ask. He has to ask, what kind of king am I going to be? Who am I going to be? And when he looks around at his culture, and he sees how idols have destroyed everything, how it's destroyed his family, how it's destroyed his own sibling, how it's destroyed his culture. He says, enough is enough. Enough is enough. They're coming down. Have you ever had those moments in your life where you see where your idols have gotten you? You see the cages that you've built around yourself and you feel stuck and you're like, something has to change. That's where we're at here. That's what's happening. And the text goes so far here. Take a look down at your text. It says, He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah and He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. See, Hezekiah makes a decision here. He says, no longer are we going to be a people that sacrifices to idols. No longer are we going to be a people that places other things above God. But we are going to be a culture that worships God. 
Before he can take down the idols, there's an important thing that he has to do. He has to identify them. He has to identify them. What we see in the text is that he recognizes the high places. He recognizes the pillars and the Asherah and even the bronze serpent, which was once a good thing that God had told Moses to make, but had become a bad thing. And once he identifies them, he tears them down. See, before you and I can destroy the idols that are going on in our lives, you and I, we must identify what those idols even are whether they're bad things that are in our life that have never should have been in our life from the very start, or whether there's good things in our life that we have just placed in a wrong placement. And in order for us to identify them, we need to take the moment to ask ourselves, what is ruling our heart? What's on the throne of our heart? This morning what I've done is I've, I've brought us some questions that I've found to be helpful even in my own life or when I'm trying to find idols in my life. They're going to be right here on the screen if you want to write them down, if you're a note taker or take a picture of them or whatever the case may be. But I would challenge you during this week sometime to take these home and to work through them and ask the question, are there idols in my life? Here's those questions. What do you worry about most? What do you use to comfort yourself when things go bad or get difficult? What do you do to feel better? What preoccupies you or what do you daydream about? What makes you feel the most self-worth? What do you want to be known for? Finally, what unanswered prayer would make you really question your faith or trust in Christ? Our goal throughout this series is to locate the idols in our lives and place them in our proper place so that we can place Christ in his proper place. See, if we are going to be a church who lives sent, if we are going to be a church that's a light in our community and brings beauty into our community, we have to be a church that places Christ in his rightful place. And we're going to be talking about that over the next several weeks. Because while there are probably limitless number of idols in our world, I believe you can boil all idols down to four different categories. You're going to go to my next slide there. I believe you can boil all idols down to idols of power, idols of control, idols of comfort, and idols of approval. Now, I don't know about you, but as I see that list there, I see myself in every single category there, or I've worshipped idols in every single one of those categories. And over these next several weeks, we are going to be unpacking each one of these to help us as a church identify and take down these idols in our hearts. We do not live a faith that's distracted, but one that's focused and is leaning towards Christ and placing him first. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I look at my idols, when I look at the things in my life that I place above Christ, an obvious question comes to my mind is, how do I take them down? How do I actually get rid of them? Because I've had, I've had idols of approval in my life where I place my, my need for people's approval in my life way above my approval in Christ and I am seeking other people's approval and I think I get rid of it. I think I deal with it and then all of a sudden I'm, I'm right back there again and I'm leaning on other people's approval more than Christ. Anybody been there before where it comes back? How do we actually get rid of them? 
And while we're going to be talking about that over the next several weeks, I think the text here gives us an answer. Take a look at your text. It says this, He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like Him among all the kings of Judah after Him, nor among those who were before Him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and his territory from watchtower to fortified cities. See, in this text, we see that after Hezekiah tears down the altars and the idols that the people worship, he says his heart was captured by God. His eyes were fixed on God. He held fast to God. See, rather than trusting in the idols to bring his people victory, he trusted in God to bring victory. Rather than trusting in the idols to bring comfort or joy or meaning, he trusted in God to bring those things. He left one thing and he cleaved to another. See, the reason that you and I chase idols is because we believe those are the things where our hope is going to come from. The reason why we chase approval from other people more than we chase approval from God is we believe that we're going to find meaning and comfort when we chase other people's approval. The reason why we chase after comfort is because we believe that comfort, that comfort is going to be the thing where our rest comes from. And on and on it goes. And Hezekiah rejects this. He rejects this because he is captured more by the beauty of God, more than the beauty of an idol. See, Hezekiah finds a powerful truth that Christ can actually bring the satisfaction that our hearts long for. Our idols can't. When I was in China, my, uh, the host family, my dad and I were staying with, took us to a Buddhist temple. And that was a really, really awakening experience for me as like a 14-year-old, 15-year-old kid. And as we are walking among this, this, uh, this, this temple, there's all these people, hundreds of people, if not thousands of people, that are bowing down to these different idols or images, also called devas in Buddhism. And this one lady stood out to me as she was bowing down and as she was worshiping, as she vigorously beat her face against the pavement. And she bowed down to this idol until finally when she would be coming up, her face was bloodied and bruised. And I turned to our host family and I said, what in the world is this lady doing? Like, why is she doing this? What is happening? And our host family told me is that she has a belief that the lower she bows, the harder she bows, the more pain she inflicts upon herself is more, makes it more likely that her idol is going to grant her request. Now, when we hear that, we may think that's really sad. Because we know that that, the the idol that that lady is worshiping has no power. It's never going to hear her, no matter how hard she beats her face against the pavement. But the reality is, the same is true about the idols we worship. The same is true. 
If you are trying to find meaning in your spouse or in your children, they are going to let you down every single time. You will never find it. If you are trying to find meaning in your career or your salary, you will never have enough. If you are trying to find meaning in your hobbies, you will always need more. Because the idol that you are chasing, no matter how hard you hit your head on the pavement of your life, is not going to answer because it can't give you what you want. We are not meant to worship other things. Some of us this morning are trying to seek God's will in our lives and we feel like we're not getting an answer from Him. And that's not because God isn't speaking to you. It's because we're tuned into a different voice. We're listening to something else. That's why idolatry is so destructive in our lives. It's because not only do our idols not give us what they promise, they shut out the voice of God. That's why it says in Matthew chapter 6, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will despise the one and be devoted to the other. We can only listen to one voice. See, the cure to our idols is found in the belief that Christ is better than every other thing. See, the gospel tells us that when Christ came here, he laid everything down to save us from our sin. He held nothing back. He graciously laid it all on the line so that we could be free, so that we could have true joy, we could have true hope, we could have true peace. See, our idols are not destroyed by trying harder or having self-discipline. Our idols are overcome by being captured by the gospel. Our idols of power are defeated by submission to Christ's power in our lives. Our idols of control are defeated by surrendering to God's control. He's been in control the whole time. Our idols of comfort are destroyed by not placing our comfort in the things of this world, but trusting in the God of comfort. And our idols of approval are destroyed by no longer seeking man's approval, by resting in the fact that if you know Christ, you have already been approved of in Christ. That's how we defeat our idols. By being caught up with Him. And coming home. If I could have the men approach this morning for communion. As we dive into this series... We want to recognize that the gospel is the cure to our idols. The gospel, Jesus' body on the cross that was broken and his blood that was shed for us. And we celebrate that in communion. This is not something special that, 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 that saves you or changes you. This is a picture. And in communion, we get to take part. What I'm going to do here is I'm going to pray for us and the guys are going to start passing out. If you need a gluten-free one, my buddy here is going to uh, throw a hand up and he'll get you. We're going to take part in communion together. Father, we want to thank you for this day. We want to thank you for your love. We want to thank you that you are a God who came to destroy the idols. grant the things that we're actually after. Father, I pray for us in this time. 
Show us our idols. Show us the things that capture our attention. Help us lean on you. Thank you for joining us for this week's message here at Corner Bible Church. If you would like more audio resources, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Or you can go online and visit us on our webpage at cornerbiblechurch.com.